today. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 29th of November. A very warm welcome to Tuesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. I'm Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines. COVID-19 cases on the mainland have jumped above 40,000 to a fresh record high for the fifth consecutive day. Mostly peaceful protests against COVID restrictions have spread across the country and have been witnessed in at least 10 cities, including Shanghai, Beijing, Wuhan, Nanjing and Xinjiang. On Monday, Xinhua, in an editorial, called on the country to stick unswervingly to the principle of putting the people's lives first and to, pre- and to prevent importing the virus from overseas and prevent it rebounding domestically. Hong Kong's trade performance has slumped further, with the value of total exports shrinking 10.4% year-on-year in October. This marked a sixth straight month of declines and outpaced the drop of around 9% in September. Exports to the mainland, the United States and the European Union recorded double-digit plunges. Imports, meanwhile, fell by 11.9% from a year earlier. Secondary home prices in Hong Kong have fallen for a fifth consecutive month to their lowest level since November 2017. October home prices slumped 2.4% month on month, the biggest monthly drop of the year, accelerating from the 2.1% decline recorded in September. Compared to a year ago, prices were 11% lower. And a top Federal Reserve official has warned the US unemployment rate could hit 5% next year, and interest rates may need to rise to the 5 to 7% range to be restrictive. John Williams, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, said he expected the unemployment rate to rise from its current level of 3.7% to between 45 and 5% by the end of next year. And he said the U.S. central bank needed to do more to stamp out price pressures. He described inflation as the number one economic concern across the globe, adding that rates will need to be kept at a sufficiently high level all through 2023 and into 2024. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong from Leeds Securities and Sunil Kashap at FinMet with a view from South Korea. It's Peter Kim of KB Securities. Money Talk On Wall Street, US stocks were hit by the protests in China with investors worried about supply chains and uncertainty about the outlook for the world's second largest economy. The S&P 500 dropped 1.5% to end at 3,964. The Dow lost 498 points, or 1.5%, to close at 33,849. The Nasdaq Composite ended the day down 1.6% at 11,049. Apple dropped 2.6% after Bloomberg reported that unrest at Foxconn's iPhone City factory in China could mean 6 million fewer iPhone Pro units for the year. In Europe, the Pan-European Stock 600 Index retreated 0.7%. London's FTSE 100 fell 0.2%. Chinese stocks and the yuan fell as investors digested the growing unrest in mainland China and priced in more uncertainty. The Hang Seng sank as much as 4.2% at the low of the day before recovering some lost ground. To end the day, 276 points, or 1.6% lower, at 17,298. And the decline has paired this month's sharp advance to 17.8%. 
The Hang Seng Tech Index dropped 1.9%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite dropped 0.8% to 3,079. Despite these, today's declines, Chinese stocks are poised for their best month in 23 years, with the MSCI China Index currently up 20% for the month of November. Oil prices stabilised in the afternoon in New York, with Brent crude losing 0.9% after having fallen nearly 3% earlier in the day. It settled at $83.19 a barrel. Gold is 1% lower at $1,741 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield, that fell one basis point to 3.68%. And the US dollar index traded 0.6% higher as traders rushed to safer assets in light of the protests in China. The euro fell half a percent to $1.35. The Japanese yen this morning is at 138.84. Sterling tumbled 1.2%. It's trading at $1.19.5 and nine Hong Kong dollars and 35 cents. The offshore Chinese yuan plunged 1%, that's the most since May, to 7.25 and three quarters versus the US dollar at one stage. This morning it's trading slightly higher at 7.24.5 versus the dollar. And cryptocurrencies succumb to the risk off sentiment, with Bitcoin dropping almost 2% to $16,200. And taking a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, uh, the SX200 is off a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 down three quarters of a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby is down 0.1%. But it does like look like we're going to get a small rebound in the Hang Seng at the open of about 200 points. <laughs> Coming up to 8.09, let's welcome our Tuesday morning guests. We have with us over in our Queensway studio, James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer from Lead Securities. Morning to you, James. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Sunil Kashap, Director at FinMet. Welcome back, Sunil. Good morning. Um, let's start with these uh, these COVID lockdowns over in China. And markets around the world, from stocks, currencies, commodities, all being hit now by the China lockdowns and the protests. Um James, why is it having such a large impact on global risk assets? Uh, I think uh, we, we've been watching this closely over the weekend and we found there was a, uh, a large-scale participation uh, prote- protest online in domestic uh, social platforms. And then there, uh, uh, on Sunday night, there was uh, physical protests on the streets, but uh, the same level of participation were not found on domestic platforms. So I, I think uh, I, I kind of agree with what Moody's was saying that these kind of uh, protests are dissipating rather quickly and uh, people are more worried about uh, what what is going on for the entire world in terms of China output and China demand than uh, the economy in China and the market in China itself because we, we can see uh, from the uh, overnight performances in KWEB and in offshore yuan, uh, uh, given uh, given that offshore yuan has uh, surged in the early sessions of the United United States uh, trading sessions, but then it didn't hold the uh, 7.25 level. It came down a little bit. Uh, came up a little bit, and then KWEB uh, was up about 2.5 percent. And uh, the the interesting thing is we've seen the. Uh, uh, the, the risk-averse appetite uh, kind of emerge in 
uh, currency market, and we've seen the United United States market uh, down a little. I think mostly because they are worried about if if we do not do not have the uh, demand coming from China, uh, the uh, economy is most definitely going to go into a, a recession next year. But then you look at the oil prices; uh, they're not really moving that much, uh, despite the intraday volatilities. Yeah, I mean, it, I think the, um, the you know the correction we saw on um, yeah, yesterday in the markets really is uh, has to be in the context of what's happened most of November. Um, the global markets have uh, really come off uh, the lows uh, from earlier this year, and the sentiment was generally cha- changing and becoming more positive. I think the news over the weekend has, has sort of dampened that enthusiasm, and so that's why the market's corrected. And also, it wasn't helped by um, a whole string of Fed officials, including James Bullard, saying that basically rates needed to go higher. I mean, he was saying oh, we may need to see rates between 5 and 7% before they become restrictive. Yeah, I mean, that's driven by the fact that I think the market got ahead of itself in thinking that the Fed is done or Fed pivot is coming or um, the Fed will slow down increases or Fed has lost its commitment to keep uh, increasing rates. So I think they just wanted to correct that perception amongst the market. Do do you think that um, Beijing is going to have to take into account the global impact of what's happening um, on the mainland, including, you know, the hit to supply chains, the hit to the global economy and financial markets? Are they worried or do they need to take that into account? Uh, I don't really think so. Yeah, they, well, I think right now the uh, the local, go- local government and the central government are trying to decide the best way to exit. But uh, given the cases, the, confer- the number of confirmed cases are surging for five consecutive days and now surpassing 40,000 cases per day. And uh, they are having a hard time deciding what to do. And uh, I know it's tempting. I, I know the foreign media and uh, foreign investors uh, crave the comfort of certainty but that's one thing that we don't have right now and uh, i know it's tempting to make bets uh, to make guesses and and place bets alongside those guesses but uh i would suggest to um uh, to learn from a cautionary tale uh, back in early may of 2019 everybody thought the uh, the trade war was coming to an end and uh, after a year-long negotiation all the terms were set but only to find out that later and the whole thing could be overruled in just one weekend so when we please place bets i would uh, highly suggest that uh, to hedge those bets According to Goldman Sachs, cities now in some form of lockdown account for some 65% of national output. I mean, this is going to have a big impact, isn't it, on fourth quarter um, growth for the, for the mainland economy. It's going to be negative for sure, isn't it, compared to the third quarter? Yeah, uh, it really depends upon how things play out in the coming days, um, whether the government is able to restore order in uh, fast, which it seems to have done and production can start again. I think it's really uncertain in terms of how this plays out in the coming days and weeks. What do you think the impact is going to be on um, unemployment? You probably remember back in 2020 when this first started, um, the unemployment rate reached 12% of, of the working population. Do you think there's a risk that we're going to see this again? Because factories are having to close, aren't they? They are laying off uh, workers. 
Uh, yeah, I think I think、uh, what we saw in Foxconn is、uh, is probably an example of how things go for、uh, large manufacturers, and、uh, the because if they have a、uh, establishment in certain uh, industrial uh, industrial collections, they will be facing with the problem of、uh, quarantines and uh, uh, COVID zero controls, and、uh, those do not.、Uh, Generate a good、uh, sentiment for workers that、uh, gather together to work on those factories and do not have the luxuries to go home. And uh, the, the, I, I'm a little afraid that this whole thing can、uh, go drag along a little longer than we all expect. But to some extent, I think the impact in terms of the world、um, economy may be lesser than it would have been maybe two or three months ago、uh, in terms of、uh, any kind of closures, because most of the orders for、um, Christmas have already been met and must be must have been shipped already,、uh, and we would be entering into a, a general sort of seasonal. Slowdown of production,、uh, at least of consumer products, because、uh, you have Christmas, New Year, and then you've got、um, Chinese New Year this year coming early、um, in in、um, in the later part of January. So, in a sense, the impact may not be as much to the world economy as it would have been if, let's say, this happened in August or September. Well, let's talk about the Hong Kong economy because we had some data out yesterday. First on trade, Hong Kong's trade performance has slumped further. The value of total exports shrank 10.4 percent year on year in October. That's the sixth straight month of declines, worse than the nine percent、uh, we saw in September. Exports to the mainland, the United States, and the European Union all plunged by double digits. Imports fell by 11.9 percent、um, from a year、uh, earlier. Um, this is another drag, isn't it, on the on the local economy? Maybe perhaps the biggest drag on the local economy.、Uh, yes, but I think that's a sign of、uh, repressed or, or、uh, de- depressed demands because we've we've all known that、uh, the、uh, the retailers, the the, the chain supermarkets,、uh, they have a, lo- a large number of inventory built up. Uh, ahead of the holiday season, so you, we've we've seen the numbers coming out of Black Friday, and we, we I think it's okay number. And、uh, but the, the the way that number was achieved was、uh, with large discounts and a large inventory, because we, with that level of inventory, the、uh, demands for new imports ahead of the holiday season must be、uh, suppressed. Certainly, I think、uh, you know just.、Uh, Talking to people、uh, working with retailers, large retailers in Europe and、uh, in the US,、um, they've confirmed that、uh, they re- the successful retailers this year have been the ones who've really discounted、um, their inventories and sold and cleared off, and、mm-hmm. so the orders. Um, for the coming、uh, spring, for example, are already showing a decline. Do you think then, if we see an opening up、um, of the borders, we see a relaxation of the policy on the、um, on the mainland? Do you think we can see a quick、um, bounce back in the Hong Kong economy, or has more long term damage been done? Uh, I think I think it has something to do with the monetary policy around the world. Because if we look at the average、uh, policy, the real policy rate、uh, for G20, it's still negative. So、uh, I think James Bullard or John Williams had a point because James Bullard made his、uh, his prediction of five to seven percent interest rate based on Taylor rule. And uh, uh, if if Taylor rule works, or if、uh, the Fed uh, can. Uh, 
the Fed policy works, it's supposed to suppress demand. And so even if uh, China opens borders very soon, I think on the demand side, we still, we're still kind of weak. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Hong Kong, I think, you know, we've seen the government open up, um, but the impact really has been uh, probably different from the, what the government intended because the tourist arrivals haven't really increased. What is, however, happening is that people have used the relaxed um, COVID restrictions to travel out of Hong Kong much more. And, and I think you're going to see that in the next coming weeks over the Christmas and Chinese New Year holidays that there'll be more people leaving Hong Kong and spending their money overseas rather than people coming into Hong Kong and spending money here. Mm. It's also hitting home prices, isn't it? These, these rising rates we're seeing now, uh, the, the latest figures, October prices down 2.4% month on month, year on year, 11% um, lower. Is there a risk that to the Hong Kong economy that maybe what will happen is we just get a collapse of investment, especially that driven by the property sector, particularly if, if prices continue to fall like this? Yeah, I think I think the uh, the uh, uh, people in the real estate business uh, had a, uh, had a hunch that this is coming, and uh, this hunch comes as early as uh, like uh, in January of 2022. Mm. And I've been talking to some uh, big agency, real estate agencies, uh, like the top three uh, real estate agencies in Hong Kong, and they had their uh, worst. Uh, quarter in about 20 years, exactly in the first quarter of 2022. And then they kind of know what is going on. And I think this has something to do with the uh, the talent exodus. I'm not exactly sure about the uh, level of uh, uh, investment exodus, but uh, hopefully there will be a new immigration scheme if we resume the investment in immigration uh, scheme like before 2010. Uh, there will be more investment coming in, I guess. Uh, but I think also you should keep a context of overseas. Uh, so overall, what's happening to real estate, what's happening in Hong Kong um, is not very different from uh, the markets in New York, London, uh, mm. Sydney, etc. So in the global context, I think the, the, the increase in interest rates uh, and the mortgage rates is the one that's really creating this impact. How, how, what do we do to get Hong Kong then out of its um, slump? Because this is the third recession now in four years. What, what does the government need to do to help? Uh, I mean, Hong Kong is so much dependent upon what happens in the mainland, right? So uh, I think that's something that um, you know the government has to work on. And, and, and if at least if the borders aren't open, at least they should, if there's a way in which capital flow between the mainland and, and uh, Hong Kong can be increased, uh, that'll uh, act uh, as a catalyst to, uh, to, to revive the local economy. Tell me a little bit about the local markets here. Obviously, they, they took a hit yesterday, both Chinese stocks and the yuan um, declined. Um, the, the, the benchmark index, the Hang Seng index, um, it's still up about 18% month to date, isn't it? Despite the, the declines of the recent sort of few days. So it seems to, well, initially it looks like it put in a bottom um, in, uh, in sort of October. Do you think that uh, sort of the worst is over for the, for the local markets? I'm not really uh, confident to say that. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's probably over for, for 2022, but it's, there would be a chance that uh, we've, we will see another plunge uh, early next year before this whole uh, COVID zero policy uh, goes away. And uh, like I said, if you're tempting to make any guesses and, and place any bets, better hedge them. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I think it's you know it's it's a volatile market. The market probably got ahead of itself in terms of selling earlier in the year, and what you saw in this month has been a little bit of uh, profit taking of the shorts, uh, and then probably start people started going long, but then this news came in over the weekend, and then they've they've taken profits on some of the long positions. And on the currency, on the yuan. Yeah, I think Yuan is still uh, having a, a hard, uh, a rough patch ahead of it. So, um, yeah, the, probably we've already seen its lowest point this year. But mm-hmm. again, like I said, the the uh, loosening of COVID zero restrictions is uh, a long process, probably longer than we expect. And uh, a lot of things could happen during this loosening process, uh, which we really don't want to see. But if those things happen, I think the Yuan is going to take another hit. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing something very unusual right now. I, I don't think I've seen it uh, at least the last 20 years, which is that the renminbi interest rates onshore are lower than U.S. dollar interest rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's an indication of the fact that um, you're going to see continued weakness in in, in the renminbi um, compared to the U.S. dollar. Well, thank you both very much. Have a great day. That's Sunil Kashap, who's director of FinMet. James Wong, managing director and chief investment officer from Lead Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time's coming up to 8.24. On the phone from Seoul is in South Korea is Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. Morning to you, Peter. Yes, good morning. Um, tell me a little bit about the impact in South Korea of what we're seeing um, in China, both in terms of the market impact and also the economic impact. Um, I think uh, both of them have been quite profound. Uh, uh, from a market perspective, obviously, uh, uh, being China being the largest export destination, as well as being uh, very much in the middle of the geopolitical sphere, um, both the investor sentiment and the overall economic impact has been profound. But I think uh, it's important to uh, talk about uh, South Korea's decoupling, if you will, with China. Uh, that started from 2016 from that bad issue, uh, which has uh, put Korea... Uh, under a bit of a silent sanctions from China. Uh, so in a way, South Korea has uh, felt this sort of uh, uh, pivot from China way before everyone else did. So where is it pivoting to instead? So if you see the economic data, uh, South Korea's export to the U.S. has uh, risen uh, as much as China's has fallen. So uh, that's been a, a one uh, uh, equation. Um, I guess on other plans, you say if you speak to South Korean companies, uh, they will commonly talk about shifting out to Southeast Asia and India mm. uh, as an alternative to China. India seems to be the one big beneficiary, doesn't it, from all of this shifting uh, global supply chains? It is, but uh, it's very different uh, uh, in many ways. Uh, India is a lot more complex. Uh, in terms of the, the companies, how the industries are structured, lack of infrastructure. So uh, it's not uh, such a one-for-one swap. Uh, a lot of Korean companies are having to uh, reinvent in themselves in order to make their uh, uh, product work in India uh, versus China. Do you think Beijing is taking into account or has to take into account 
what's happening with key trading partners like South Korea, the way they're um, reducing their dependency on China, shifting supply chains out of the country to elsewhere. Is this becoming now at a scale where it is a concern or ought to be a concern for China? Um, at some point, it has to be a concern, but uh, as you can probably see, um, it seems that the political priority seems to usurp uh, the economic and uh, uh, trade factors. Um, I, I think the previous uh, session you had uh, indicate that eventually we will have those two priorities aligned, uh, but as we've seen from South Korea, in the short term, uh, it seems that the political motivations uh, uh, is uh, by far uh, the, uh, the highest consideration. For South Korea, we've always uh, uh, tried to manage the two, political versus economic, mm -hmm. uh, and we will continue to do so. Uh, and I think that's from a government level and at the corporate level. What was noticeable, though, at the, the Bali summit at the recent um, Asian conference was how much President Xi Jinping was reaching out um, and maybe being a lot more diplomatic to neighbours, including South Korea. There were a lot of bilateral meetings, weren't they? Very friendly uh, meetings. Is this a sign, do you think, of maybe the political and the economic are coming together um, and, and Beijing is realising um, it has to take these things into account? I hope so. Uh, very meaningful uh, what happened in Bali because Xi Jinping for the first time uh, was uh, willing to have a public forum in front of the media with the uh, South Korean president. Mm. Uh, it's very meaningful to remind us of previous South Korean president, President Moon, uh, rarely had that opportunity even though he was one of the most pro-China uh, president that we've had. So uh, I guess uh, that tells you how much of a shift in a stance that uh, we are seeing from President Xi. Uh, and I think uh, with the exception of our, uh, the Canadian president, uh, everyone is feeling the, uh, the softening stance uh, and hopefully that will uh, grow into something more meaningful down the road. Okay, Peter. Well, thank you very much. Sadly, we run out of time, but it's always good to talk to you. That's Peter Kim, who is Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets. First of all, in Australia, the SX200 is down 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 off two-thirds of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea virtually flat, but it does look like we're going to get a rebound in the Hang Seng uh, this morning of about 200 points at the Open. I just want to tell you about our charity auction in aid of Operation Santa Claus 2022. It's a 24-hour online auction that we're going to open during Thursday's Money Talk. There are lots of fabulous items donated by local companies and organisations that you can bid for. And all the money we raise will go to the 15 amazing charities that every day are, help are helping the needy of Hong Kong. And you can take a look right now and some of the things you can bid for when the auction opens at 8.25 a.m. on Thursday. You can register in advance, and even if you don't want to bid on any of the items, you can still make a donation to Operation Santa Claus. You do that by either going to the Radio 3 homepage, that's www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3, or take a look at the Money Talk Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and click on the link to the auction website. Do take a look now. Please donate, and we'll be opening the auction on Thursday's Money Talk, so please join me for that then. Um, coming up after the news is Back Chats this morning uh, with Jim Gould and Ada Wong, and do, do please join me again tomorrow morning. 
Times 8.30, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. The Chief Executive John Lee has submitted a report to the Central People's Government asking the National People's Congress Standing Committee to interpret the national security law. The SAR government wants to know whether overseas lawyers who are not fully qualified to practice in Hong Kong can take part in national security cases. This comes after the Court of Final Appeal rejected an application by the Department of Justice for leave to appeal against a decision to allow British lawyer Tim Owen to represent former media tycoon Jimmy Lai in his national security trial. Mr Lee spoke after the court's decision. There is no effective means to ensure that a counsel from overseas uh, will not have conflict of interest and there is also no means to ensure that he has not been coerced, compromised or in any way controlled by foreign government associations or persons. There are also no effective means to ensure that a counsel from overseas will comply with Article 63 of the Hong Kong National Security Law that during his uh, legal practice that he will keep secret. Official figures show home prices fell for a fifth consecutive month last month to the lowest level since November 2017. The statistics show that homes sold in October went for 2.4% less than they did a month earlier, widening from the 2.1% fall recorded in September. Prices were 11% lower than a year earlier. The Environmental Protection Department has confirmed that it's phasing out roadside recycling bins in urban areas. That means 300 sets of bins will be removed by the end of this year. In a written reply to RTHK, the department explains that the bins were often mistaken as rubbish cans. It points out that many urban residents are now using its Green Earth community network instead. But Edwin Lau, the founder of Green Earth, says those recycling stores are not convenient. There are many other people who really require the convenience. Sometimes they cannot afford the time to, say, walk another 10 minutes or 15 minutes to find the green community station or the recycling community stores. And then somehow they drop the idea and just put this thing recyclable into a normal garbage bin. And that will really waste the valuable resources and added pressure to our existing landfills. The British Foreign Secretary has called for governments around the world to do more to stop sexual violence during conflict. James Cleverley was speaking at an international conference in London to discuss the problem. In a message to the gathering, the Hollywood actress Angelina Jolie said all previous commitments made by governments had not translated into significant actions. When human beings are physically assaulted in this way, and in some countries for decades, there has to be a decisive global response. When there isn't, it sends a message to both the victim and the perpetrator that we don't truly regard this as a significant crime that has to be punished and prevented. An American white supremacist has pleaded guilty to murdering 10 people in a racist mass shooting in the state of New York. Peyton Gendron, who's 19, also admitted charges of domestic terrorism motivated by hate. In May, he went on a rampage at a supermarket in a mainly black part of the city of Buffalo. The mayor of Buffalo, Byron Brown, welcomed the verdict and said the attacker should never leave prison. Justice has been done. This individual has admitted their guilt and the penalty 
for this horrific crime is for this individual never, ever to see the light of day again. Life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Police in Somalia say 60 people were rescued during a day-long siege at a hotel in the capital Mogadishu. Al-Shabaab militants had been holed up in one of the rooms in the Villa Reyes Hotel, which is in a normally well-guarded area close to the presidency. A police spokesman said eight civilians and one soldier were killed. A junior government minister, Adam Orhirsi, was in a meeting at the hotel when the attack began, but managed to escape.